What's going on, man? Welcome back to The Basement. I'm Ron, and today we're going to talk through the running back matchups for week four and do a game-by-game -game preview of every single matchup and talk through every single fantasy-relevant running back and label each of them a start or a sit. We have a lot to get to today. Let's not waste any time. If you enjoyed the video, make sure you go down below. Subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Thirsty, thirsty, try to choose. I mean, I know I'm now, before we get into the Thursday night matchup, make sure you check out patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. I will have the full rankings on there. So if you have two running backs that are both starts, you don't know who to start. It's tough for me to say right now this far out, but by Thursday, I have everything dialed in. I've done all the research. I have all the rankings there ready to go on Patreon. So if you want access to that, if you want access to our start sit Patreon only live streams, we do on Sunday mornings. If you want access to the weekly waiver wire article our weekly rest of season rankings we drop every wednesday all of that will be on patreon.com slash ron stewart i'll have a link at the top of the description and a link at the top of the comments below after a pretty disgusting matchup of the browns versus steelers on thursday night last week we get a little bit of a palate cleanser here we get the dolphins on the road versus the Bengals. the Bengals are three and a half point favorites at home with an over under of 47 and a half and i have to say when we talk about the 1-2 Bengals, who only have a win over the Jets, and a 3-0 Dolphins. I'm pretty shocked that the Bengals are favorites, even if they're at home. Now, that feels like a trap line, right? We kind of got uh, exposed last week with the Colts, right? Where the Colts played the Chiefs. The Colts were 0-2 at that point, And they were only like 5.5-point underdogs at home. I think Vegas has this line set up in a way where they're going to want people to bet on the Dolphins. Regardless, a line like this means that this should be a close game. It should be a decently high scoring game. 47 and a half is a little bit low here for two teams that are really pass heavy, where the Dolphins are sixth in neutral pass rate and the Bengals, which have sort of surprised people this year, are seventh in neutral pass rate. So there should be a lot of passing and there should be a lot of efficiency from T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Tyree Kill, all of these studs in the passing game. Now, both of these guys, both of these teams are going to want to pass, but sort of in different ways, where Cincinnati's third in neutral pace are going to be getting on the ball trying to play with rhythm, trying to play with tempo, whereas Miami is bottom 10 in pace. So this game has shoot-up potential. Just given how good these offenses are, Miami is going to want to play slow unless they're coming from behind, but they are three-and-a-half-point underdogs. So maybe they are, especially if that three-and-a-half-point underdog line is true and the Dolphins are trailing in this game. Now, when we talk about the Dolphins running backs, we're going to break them down into starts, sits, and then RB2 streamers. I know we have a lot of new people that come to this channel, but on this channel, in the offseason, we preach punt RB2, go hero RB, go zero RB. So I have a lot of teams out there where I'm not starting the David Montgomery's of the world or the Josh Jacobs of the world or Miles Sanders in my RB2 spot. I have skinnier options, right? Like on the Dolphins, like a Chase Edmonds, or I have a, a Damian Harris or a Melvin Gordon, you know, a little bit lower end on that spectrum. So instead of calling, you know, my top 25 running back starts, I sort of wanted to have a little bit less of a binary system for this format now when we talk about chase edmonds this is a tough matchup he's playing a Bengals defense which are top 10 in total defense total pass defense and run defense per dvoa and on top of that you have this dolphins running back room that is so tough to gauge moster out snapped and out touched edmonds last week but edmonds was the one that scored two touchdowns and had all of the goal line work this is now back-to-back -back weeks where Chase Edmonds has under 10 touches, but he's kind of holding you hostage where he's scoring enough points that you kind of have to ride the hot hand. So I kind of 
don't mind playing him here. I have him as a low-end RB2 streamer. Like, I would have him right on the fringes of actually being a low-end RB2 streamer. But for now, I don't think it's bad to just, you know, ride the hot hand here. He's getting goal line looks. He's getting pass catching looks. At least they're high-value touches. So at this point, I don't mind. If you're in a little bit of a pickle in that, like, RB30, RB35 range, I think he can go in your lineup as a low-end RB2 streamer. And Raheem Moster, as much as he's taking away carries and snaps from Edmonds, he's not doing much. He only had eight carries for 11 yards versus a tough Bills run defense last week. And because Edmonds is taking the goal line looks and because he's taking the two-minute drill, the passing down stuff, you're really banking on between the 20s efficiency from Raheem Mostert, especially against a Bengals defense like this. I'm not a huge fan of playing Mostert here. I don't think that he's terribly below a RB2 streamer, but he's not somebody I'm trying to start this week. I would have him probably like the RB40-ish range. And when we talk about the Bengals running backs, we have Joe Mixon, who has gotten a crazy workload so far. His career high in expected points per game, which expected points per game just takes into account how much volume are you seeing. And based on that volume, your red zone touches, your targets, how many fantasy points should you be scoring? His career high in expected points per game is 17.9. So far, he's leading the entire NFL among running backs with 22.4 expected points per game. That's like a, what, a four to five point increase just in volume. And a lot of that is to do with this new, not new, but him being used in the passing game where he now has, I want to say 20 targets on the season through three weeks where his career high is like 43 targets on a season. He's already halfway there. He's fifth in target share behind just Javante, Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, and Saquon. So he's getting more volume than he's ever gotten. He's getting featured in the receiving game. All of that is really exciting. He also gets a fine matchup here against a Dolphins team that just let 17 targets go to Bill's running backs. For me, Joe Mixon is a firm RB1. You're starting this week as long as he's playing. A little bit of an asterisk here where he left the game early on Sunday. This is a tight turnaround because it's going to be a Thursday night game. There's a you know possibility that he misses time, but we should know ahead of time. And if he's good to go, you start him. If not, you don't start him. And if he can't go, then you're starting Samaj P. Ryan. Now, if Mixon plays, you're not playing Samaj P. Ryan. He will be the handcuff. But again, if Mixon can't go, then P. Ryan would be interesting. Which then takes us to our first London game of the year. We have the Vikings technically on the road to the Saints, but they're both, I would call it a neutral spot. Vikings are two and a half point favorites. The over-under is 43 and a half. I always feel like these games are super weird, right? These London games, the time zone's weird for the players. It's a weird environment. They play at the Tottenham Spur Stadium the soccer stadium or football to them, but it's just weird, man. All of these games just sort of feel like they're played in the the twilight zone. So I don't really have a good read on how this is going to play out, but we know the Vikings are going to want to pass the ball and play with tempo. We know the Saints kind of want to slow things down and run the ball here. The Saints also have a top 10 defense. It's not a great fantasy environment, right? A 43 and a half over under isn't amazing, but the Vikings should be able to score here. They've looked good on offense. I mean, not the past two weeks, but in week one, they looked good. They should be able to move the ball, move with pace. You also have the upside of if the Vikings get out to a lead, you have a trailing Jameis and garbage time. There's scenarios where this game shoots out. There's also scenarios where this game is 24 to 14. It happens at 930 and nobody really remembers it. And when we talk about the Vikings running backs, we have a little bit of controversy. We're not controversy, but I guess drama where... Dalvin Cook is hurt. He has a shoulder injury. He dislocated his shoulder. He constantly is dislocating both shoulders at this point. It seems like he's kind of a pro, and he's going to wear a harness and possibly play this week. So if he does play, he's a start for me. The Saints defense is tough against the run. They're only allowing the seventh fewest 
fantasy points, two opposing running backs, despite playing against Cordero Patterson, Fournette, Christian McCaffrey. Regardless, you're starting whoever's the RB1 for the Vikings. But again, just remember, Dalvin Cook has some kind of injury. For me, he's a high-end RB2 this week if he plays, but he has a high risk of re-injury. He's volatile, all of that. I will say, though, as of right now, I'm, I'm, we're recording this video assuming that he does play. I will say, though, man, if I had a dislocated shoulder and I'm going to be out like two, three weeks, that feels like a great excuse to not – like I can't imagine – imagine having like a, a hurt shoulder, like a banged-up shoulder and going on a flight overseas to Europe. I don't know. It just can't feel like a fun time to like nurse an injury overseas. We'll see what happens. But I would lean Dalvin Cook plays for now. It wouldn't shock me if Madison ended up playing and Dalvin Cook sat and didn't travel with the team. We'll get reports as the week goes on. For now, Dalvin Cook is a start for me. Madison's a sit. But if Dalvin Cook can't go, then Alexander Madison's a must-start top 15 option. Then we have the Saints running backs. And Alvin Kamara hasn't been great this year. He hasn't scored over 10 PPR points yet. He missed week two. But I'm not giving up hope just yet. His usage this week was really encouraging. He had 15 carries. He had seven targets. That's 22 total opportunities, which is a huge step up from the 13 he saw in week one. Now, he only connected on two of those seven targets from last week, but we know Kamara is going to catch passes that are thrown his way at this point. And he kind of gets the perfect bounce back game here versus a Vikings run defense that is 31st in run DVOA. They're allowing the fourth most fantasy points to opposing running backs. So I love Kamara here as like a fringe top 10 running back. He also gets a potential passing game usage bump if Jarvis Landry or Michael Thomas actually have long-term injuries. So there's a lot of upside with Kamara. I wouldn't be shocked if this was the week where Kamara went off and had like 20 plus points. I'll also talk about Mark Ingram, who is getting snaps. He scored like a vulture touchdown last week. I'm going to call him a guy you can cut at this point. You're definitely sitting him, you know, even just mixing in for a touchdown it's not going to do much for you if he's only getting like 20 all-purpose yards. He's not someone you can start. He's not someone you can start in the event of a Kamara injury. Mark Ingram, 1,000% cuttable at this point. And our next matchup here is the Indianapolis Colts, who, hand up, I was dead wrong about last week. I thought the Chiefs were going to roll. I thought the Chiefs were going to be great. I probably should have read a little bit more into uh, the Chiefs having their backup kicker. I mean, we of course we knew that. I still can't really say that I, I would have cared. Like, as much as they did have their backup kicker in, this is still the Chiefs, right? Who knows what happened in that game? I think it was a bunch of missed field goals. It was kind of, at the end of the half, Mahomes didn't go out there and try and score like they usually do. It was just a really weird game. But the Colts were at home. They bounced back there. They're hosting the Titans this week. The Colts are three-point favorites. The over-under is 43. This is going to be kind of an ugly game here. Both teams are bottom seven in pass rate over expected. Both of these teams want to run the ball through Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, and control the pace. Like they're almost, these teams are almost mirror images of each other, right? You have like a bridge quarterback, Matt Ryan, Ryan Tannehill. You have your running back who is just supposed to be the focal point of your team. You have like, I guess the Colts have Pittman, but the Titans don't really have anybody at wide receiver. But they're both similar styles here, which makes me think either this game is going to be a game that you could right up right where both teams just run the ball play football whatever but both of these guys could almost force each other into a weird shootout I want to say that the Titans Colts have had weird games in the past so it wouldn't shock me at all if they kind of like cancel each other out and force each other to throw we'll see what happens but I think just assuming what Vegas is saying here 43 point over under both these teams like to run the ball I think we might just get a vintage Derrick Henry game here where we saw what he looked like last week he had 20 carries 85 yards on the ground one touchdown. That is the poster boy Derrick Henry game. Now, the shocking part is that he saw six targets. I will say, though, I don't think that that really sustains. He only, he only ran 13 routes, which isn't a lot. 
He only got one target through his first two games. Maybe the receiving role increases and he sees like two to three targets a game, but five targets a week, uh, I, I don't think so, fellas. Um, I will say he's going to get his 18 plus touches. He's a low end RB1. And what's going to be a tough matchup versus a Colts defense that is top three in rush defense per DVOA and PFF in a low scoring, slow game. Jonathan Taylor, on the other hand, has a much easier matchup here. He's a start top three player at running back in a much lighter matchup here against a Titans defense that is allowing the fourth most rushing yards in the NFL, along with the 11th most fantasy points to opposing running backs. It wouldn't shock me if we saw a big game from Jonathan Taylor in the same way that Saquon went off in week one versus the Titans, where he had 194 yards from scrimmage, a touchdown, 30 points. Jonathan Taylor is in a smash spot this week. We'll also talk about Naeem Hines, who I have as an RB2 streamer here. He's now seen five or more targets in every week. That's pretty much due to Matt Ryan having such a low ADOT and being in the pocket and just checking down all the time. Now, Naeem Hines isn't in a smash spot where we'd usually want to play Naeem Hines like last week with the Chiefs, where they're going to be underdogs. They're going to be playing from behind. They're going to have to pass the ball. Still, he's had a fine floor here. He's right on the fringes of an RB2 streamer in that RB35 area. But if you just need, you know, 8 to 10 points in your RB2 spot from PPR points, I think that he's fine. We don't have any of those big blow-up games yet where sometimes Naeem Hines will come out here, score like a touchdown and 80 to 100 all-purpose yards. I think that that could be in play for Naeem Hines this week. Then we have the Bears on the road versus the Giants. The Bears are three-point underdogs in this game. The over-under is 39. I want to say this is the lowest over-under of the season so far. The last lowest one I could remember was 39 and a half. I think that was Steelers versus Browns last week. This is going to be a low-scoring game. Both of these teams want to run the ball, and it's a weird pace matchup where both teams want to run the ball, but the Bears have the fewest plays ran in the NFL as the slowest team in football. And on the other hand, the Giants are second in no huddle rate and want to push the tempo all game. So I'm not really sure how that mixes, right? I think on one hand, you could have the Bears sustaining long drives, running the ball, chewing the clock, and then have the Giants on the other side getting quick three and outs, you know, sort of running up to the line just to punt the ball to the other team. Or the Giants could score quickly, you know, get up two possessions early, and then have the Bears trailing early in this game, forcing them to pass the ball. Now, of course, we don't know how this game is going to go, but those are just sort of two scenarios I could see happening. And when we talk about the fantasy running backs here, we have David Montgomery, who I don't expect to play this week. Now, he is listed as day-to-day, and it seems like the sentiment in Chicago is positive towards Montgomery, but a lot of doctors on Twitter in the fantasy space seem to think that this injury is worse than they're leading on, where what happened was is he got rolled up on, and he is potentially having a knee injury or a high ankle sprain. So he has a potential for either like an MCL or PCL sprain, something like that in his knee, or a high ankle sprain. He could even have both, which would be crazy. Uh, that would be awful for him. Adam Hutchinson over at 4 for 4. He's their uh, fantasy doctor over there, and he hasn't projected to miss three weeks as of now. So in this scenario, we're sitting David Montgomery, obviously, and we're starting Khalil Herbert because we know Khalil Herbert – when David Montgomery is gone, and Khalil Herbert's a starter, he averaged like 15 points per game last year, and he just ripped off a 30-point game this past week. He's playing versus a bottom-five rush DVOA defense in the Giants. He's going to be the featured bell cow on this team if David Montgomery can't go. For me, he's a pretty easy high-end RB2 this week. On the other side, we have Saquon Barkley. We don't have to take much time here. He's the RB1 in all of fantasy football. He's a must-start versus a Bears defense that is allowing the ninth-most fantasy points two opposing running backs. After that, we have probably one of the best matchups of the week, if not the best matchup of the week, and it's the Bills as three and a half point favorites on the road in Baltimore versus the Ravens over under a 51 and a half. 
And this is going to be beautiful, not just in terms of fantasy football, but just in terms of real football. Lamar Jackson's playing like he's an MVP. The Bills lost last week, but we all know the Bills are a very strong team, if not a like top two to three team. This is going to be a really fun game. Baltimore is number one in offense per DVOA. The Bills are at six. Both of these teams are top six in pass rate over expectation. Both of these teams want to score and run the ball, which is going to be great for everybody involved. On the Bills, we have Devin Singletary, and I have him as a start in what should be a lighter matchup. The Ravens' run defense is outside the top 20 in PFF rush defense, DVOA rush defense, and they're allowing the 12th most fantasy points to opposing running backs. Singletary last week saw 10 targets, 9 carries for 19 total opportunities, and 74% of the snaps. Now, I doubt that he is going to be a 10-target guy ever again in his entire career, but he is the featured running back for this team that is going to score a lot of points. I like him as a fringe RB2 this week. And when we talk about the other Bills running backs, I think they can all be sat, right? We have James Cook, we have Zach Moss. Both of them had six opportunities or less last week. I will see James Cook did see five targets, which is interesting for a rookie running back. Usually, they don't get featured in the pass game that much early on. Just something to keep an eye on. I do think down the line, he should sort of step over Zach Moss, be the RB2, be there in all of the two-minute drill, third down passing situations, but that'll probably not be until week seven, week eight, week nine, whenever their bye week is. Then we have the Ravens running backs, and the only one that's really worth noting is J.K. Dobbins, and he is tough to rank right now because we still don't know how much playing time he'll see in the second week here, coming back from an ACL injury. It's tough to know when he'll have that full workload. Now, last week, he saw 43% of the snaps. He had nine opportunities. I think we see this get to like 55 to 60% of the snaps in like 12 to 15 touches. And if that's the workload, he's startable this week. I think it's a super volatile play where we don't know how much he's going to play. He's playing against a really tough Bills defense where the Ravens are already going to want to be keeping pace, trying to score with the Bills. And the Bills also have a scary defensive line that are allowing the fourth fewest fantasy points to opposing running backs. So what I would call J.K. Dobbins is a low-end RB2 streamer that is in a bad matchup and has volume uncertainty. He's a tough start, but he does have a ton of upside. He could be the featured runner in this game, see like 15 carries, score a touchdown, rush for like 60 yards. That wouldn't be all that hard to see. So if you drafted J.K. Dobbins, you're likely starting him, unless if you have, you know, like a James Robinson coming off the bench or a Clyde Edwards-Alaire, some guys who are overperforming from where you drafted them. Now, also about Justice Hill, who led the backfield in snaps last week, but he only had six touches. He's not interesting at all until, I don't know, you would need like a J.K. Dobbins injury, and even then it wouldn't be super clear. But I listed him there just because of how much snaps he's been getting recently. Then we have the Chargers on the road in Houston as five and a half point favorites versus the Texans. The over-under is 44 and a half, which feels low. I think there's sneaky shootout potential here. I kind of like the over. Both of these teams pass the ball a ton. Both teams are top eight and pass rate overexpected. And Houston's been playing fast. They're seventh in neutral pace and they're seventh highest in no huddle rate. So they are pushing the pace, throwing the football, which is kind of what you want on the other side of this Chargers team who's going to be on the road here. And the Texans haven't lost by more than a touchdown this season. So they haven't really had to keep up with anybody. But if the Chargers come out here, they bounce back with a healthy Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert another week off of his rib injury, sort of coming to Houston with something to prove after losing to the Jaguars here. I do like the Chargers to bounce back in a big way, maybe win by double digits, possibly hit the over in this game. And we talk about the Chargers here. We have Austin Eckler, who's been sort of disappointing. He's the RB13 on the year. You drafted him to be like a top five running back, but he has an absolute smash spot here. If Eckler can't give you 
18 plus PPR points this week. It's looking pretty rough for him rest of season. He is going to be playing against a Texans defense that just let Khalil Herbert run wild for 30 PPR points. And the Texans are allowing the second most fantasy points to opposing running backs on the entire season. This is the most softball matchup for Eckler that he could possibly have. He is a top five play on the week, but if he busts this week, it's going to be tough to trust Eckler as like a top five option moving forward. He'll be more of like a fringe RB1. Then on the other side, we have the Texans. We have Damian Pierce up top who saw 20 carries versus the Bears. He ended up with 18.1 PPR points. At this point, he's a volume RB2 play against a Chargers defense that is allowing the fifth most fantasy points to opposing running backs. He's in a great spot. It's really just going to come down to the game script just because he's the between the tackles guy and Rex Burkhead is the receiving back at this point. If they do get down early to the Chargers, I don't think that he's going to be in a spot to have like 20 plus carries again, but he should, he should still be a fine start, a back-end RB2 just on volume alone. And we have Rex Burkett as well, who we'll talk about here, but he's a sit since getting 22 opportunities in week one, he's had only 11 total opportunities in weeks two and three. Nothing really to like here. He's not getting an elite route participation. Even in a trailing game script versus the Chargers here, I don't think he's somebody that should be in your lineup. After that, we have the Seahawks on the road against Detroit against the Lions, who are minus five-point favorites here. The over-under is 50. And the over-under feels high here, where, I mean, the Seahawks and the Lions. Like, we're talking Seahawks-Lions, over-under of 50. The over-under in this game is, like, two and a half points higher than Dolphins versus Bengals. It does feel weird. I will say, I, I do understand how they came up with 50-plus points here, where the Lions' first three games have averaged a total score of 65.7. That's clearing that by, like, two-plus touchdowns. Detroit is also third in neutral pace. And the Seahawks are running the fifth most no huddle here. They're actually trying to play with pace here, especially after, I think, like week two, Pete Carroll had a comment they wanted to play faster. They came out last week and played way faster. So you have, like, a weird game script here where maybe, like, the Seahawks come out and they pass the ball a ton and they want to keep up with the Lions. Maybe they don't. Maybe they said, okay, we lost to the Falcons last week. We're going to come out here and just run the ball between the tackles and play slow again. And then they lose by double digits, and it's, like, 31 to 10. I could see that. And then I could also see... I could also see like 31 to 40 or 31 to like 24. I will say though, 50 feels like a lot, man. I, I would lean the under. I would lean the under. It, it, I have a hard time seeing the Seahawks put enough points up for that to happen. Now, speaking of the Seahawks, we have their running backs here. And to this point, Rashad Penny is the RB48 on the season with 18.1 total points. It's tough putting him into your lineup this week, even as an RB2 streamer. But I think this is probably the last stand with Rashad Penny. I think you have to put him in your lineup here. Have him as an RB2 streamer versus the Detroit Lions who are giving up the most points in all of fantasy to opposing running backs. If there was ever a week for Rashad Penny to be fantasy relevant, it would be this week against the Lions. Now, we'll also talk about Ken Walker, who made some like great plays, and he's looked good in spurts, but he's still only getting like six to seven touches a week. He's a sit for now. Rashad Penny, the guy in front of him, can't even be trusted in fantasy, so Ken Walker can't either. Now, a guy who can be trusted in fantasy is Jamal Williams on the Lions. And if we're assuming that DeAndre Swift can't go for week four, Jamal Williams is a locked-in top 15 running back option this week, maybe even top 12. He just put up 24.7 points last week. He's going to run wild as a home favorite in a high-point total game versus a Seahawks defense that is allowing the eighth-most fantasy points to opposing running backs. Now, I'll also list Craig Reynolds here. Craig Reynolds is going to be the RB3 on the depth chart, the active RB2 since DeAndre Swift is gone. He'll get a couple touches. He's a fine stash for now. He's not anybody we're putting in our lineups just yet, though. 
Next, we have my Jets on the road as three and a half point underdogs versus Steelers. The over-under is 40 and a half. And this is another like 40 point, like on the nose over-under for the Steelers. Their point totals, though, the last three weeks or the first three weeks have been 43, 31, 46. So not a complete dumpster fire. They've all cut it pretty close, so they're all under 50. And I got to be honest, I don't really have a read on this game. Zach Wilson, it's going to be his first game back from injury. We don't know what that means for the Jets offense. Last year, as much as I, I, I've been praising, praising LaFleur here, where LaFleur has been great, man. He's passing the ball on first down. He's passing the ball a lot. I think they, we lead the league in pass attempts at this point. He's playing with pace. He's playing with tempo. He's not giving up in games, right, where it's like the fourth quarter. They're still driving down the field. Joe Flacco down two possessions with like a minute 30 to go, which is amazing for fantasy. He throws like a pick, I think, though. Nobody scored a touchdown. But we've seen LaFleur last year. If you look at the games with Mike White, if you look at the games with Josh Johnson, Joe Flacco, and you look at Zach Wilson, he lets them throw the ball more than Zach Wilson. Now, he could have just been protecting his rookie quarterback, and now he's going to let him like open up the playbook, do his thing out there, but he is coming off an injury. He might want to be more conservative. He might want to lean more on the run game. We really don't know how this is going to go. I will say, sadly, I've seen this movie before. It wouldn't shock me at all if Zach Wilson, in his first start on the road off an injury, goes out there, puts up a stinker, throws like three interceptions. Minka Fitzpatrick gives him fits all day. And the Steelers win by double digits, like 31 to 10, something ugly like that. We'll see. We'll see. I'm positive. We'll see if Zach Wilson can do his thing. But let's talk about the running backs here. We have Brees Hall up top. And week three was not Brees Hall's coming out party. He didn't really go crazy for fantasy, but it was the first week where he outsnapped and outtouched Michael Carter, which is huge for sort of the people who drafted Brees Hall, like me, expecting him to be the RB1 eventually. We didn't really expect it to be this soon, but it's week four at this point. We'll see if the usage sticks. We don't know if this is going to be how they roll with for the future and the perpetuity. We need a couple games of him stacking up, him being the lead in snaps and touches, but it is really encouraging. So with that being said, for this week, I have him as a fine RB2 streamer, probably somewhere in like the RB25, RB30 area versus a Steelers defense that's allowing the six most fantasy points to opposing running backs. I also like Michael Carter as a fine RB2 streamer still as well. I think they're both guys you can stream at RB2. I'd have him more in like the RB30, RB35 area, but he still saw 13 touches last week. That's enough to be in the mix for an RB2 streamer. Then we have Najee Harris, who gets a long week to rest up from that weird Liz Frank injury he's been dealing with. He had a great touchdown where he like trucked a Browns defender. It still didn't really result in a ton of points. He ended up as the RB19 in fantasy through three weeks at this point. People who drafted him would like him to be a top 12 guy, obviously. Now, he does get a fine matchup at home here against a Jets defense that's allowing the seventh most fantasy points to opposing running backs, and it does seem like he is getting more playing time. He had over 80% of the snaps. I want to say he had like an 82% snap share, maybe third among running backs last week, which is a big step up from where he's been, where he's been more in that 70% area, sort of nursing his injury. He gets a long week of recovery here. Maybe they start ramping up his usage. I still like him as a top 10 play this week in fantasy. Next, we have a really fun one. We have the Jaguars on the road as six and a half point underdogs to the Eagles. The over-under is 48 and a half. And this is going to be the true test if the Jaguars are for real. As of now, they are top five in offense and they're top five in defense in DVOA. They look like they are for real. We just haven't seen them against a crazy matchup. I mean, they did just play against the Chargers. The Chargers are amazing. They won what, like 31-10? It wasn't even that close. So now they come out here. And they're playing against an undefeated Eagles team. So this is going to be really tough. The Eagles are probably going to want to score at will. Though the Jaguars defense looks like it's the best it's been since like the Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack days. 
they look that good at this point. So we'll see if the Eagles can score with them. And what we're going to get here is I think the Eagles will score on them. As much as the defense is great, the Eagles offense is just amazing right now. And then you'll have the Jaguars having to play keep up and sort of trail from behind. And I think this will be a good environment for fantasy here. And this will actually be a pretty weird environment for James Robinson where he is the RB3 in all of fantasy. He's been amazing. But these Jaguars games have been weird where they blew out the Colts 24-0. They blew out the Chargers last week. So you're getting perfect James Robinson scripts where he is the between the tackles grinder. He works it on the goal line. So if you have a lead all game, that's going to play into James Robinson's hands. So this is going to be a little bit different here where they're not going to have a lead all game. They're playing against the Eagles on the road. They should actually be trailing here. Now, even with that, I still think he's a fine start here. The Eagles run defense is probably their biggest hole on defense where they rank 25th in pass defense per DVOA. They're allowing the 10th most fantasy points to opposing running backs. So for me, James Robinson, just based on what he's done so far, he's a firm RB2, but just be aware the game script is a little bit tough for him. Now, when we talk about Travis Etienne, I have him as a low-end RB2 streamer, super low-end, but I do think he's playable here. This should be the Jaguars' first time having to play catch-up. Travis Etienne is still their pass-catching back, their primary guy in two-minute drill and third-down situations. He feels like a Naeem Hines-type play at J.D. McKissick, where they're going to be trailing in this game. They're going to pass the ball a ton. Travis Etienne should be in the backfield in shotgun with Trevor Lawrence. He should be on the field more than he would be if it was a blowout. So I do think that he has some PPR upside here. He looks fast. He's played well. This whole backfield split hasn't been, hasn't been because Etienne is bad. It's just been because James Robinson is so good. Then we have the Eagles running backs. And Miles Sanders had a down week last week. But he still hasn't dipped under 15 opportunities in a single game this season. He now gets a game script where the Eagles are favored by almost a touchdown at home. The only issue, though, is the Jaguars defense is really good on paper. They're second in PFF rush defense. They're first in rush defense per DVOA. They're allowing the 10th lowest fantasy points to opposing running backs. I will say, though, the environment of him being a home favorite and the volume that he's been getting still makes him a fine RB2, probably like a back end, like RB20 to RB25 type guy this week. We're also sitting Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott. Both of those guys combined for just five touches last week. Neither of them can really be started without somebody getting hurt in that backfield. Then we have the Browns on the road at the Falcons. The Browns are one and a half point favorites and the over-under is 49 and a half. 49 and a half over-under between the Browns and the Falcons feels crazy. These are both teams that are bottom 10 in neutral pace. They're bottom five in pass rate over-expected. Both of these teams want to possess the ball. They want to run the ball. They want to, you know, sort of milk clock. But to be fair, these are both offenses that have been efficient on the low amount of plays that they've ran, where they're both top eight and DVOA offensive efficiency. The efficiency should be there. Both of these offenses are scoring. I just think the, the clock might run out on them unless if one of these guys get up to a lead early on. And when we talk about the Browns, the, the guys who are favored in this matchup to get up to an early lead, we have Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb is one of only two running backs right now with Saquon Barkley that is averaging over 20 points per game. Chubb at this point is an every week must start running back one. He's playing against a Falcons defense that haven't let up much fantasy points to opposing running backs, but they are 27th in rush defense per DVOA. Chubb is going to have no problem. And I'll even have Kareem Hunt as a start here, even though he's had two underwhelming weeks. I'm not going to put him as an RB2 streamer. He's still seeing 15 or more opportunities in every single game. That's enough volume within this offense to be an every week starter for fantasy. Then we have Corderell Patterson, who thinks he's Adrian Peterson. He now has two games over 100 rushing yards this season. 
Him, Saquon, and Nick Chubb are the only running backs with over 300 rushing yards this season. Just absolutely insane. Cordero Patterson, for me, is an every-week RB2 at this point. He gets a great matchup versus a Cleveland run defense that ranks bottom five in run defense on Football Outsiders and PFF. Sadly, because of this, Tyler Algiers to sit here. It's going to be tough to be relevant when the running back in front of you is third in the NFL in rushing yards. Tyler Algier, he's looked okay. His touches went down from his first week in week two. I think it went from like eight to six. He's not someone you can start at this point. You're just stashing him. Then we have Washington on the road as three and a half point underdogs to the Cowboys. The over-under is 42 and a half. I got to be honest with you guys. I have no clue what to make of this game. We have Wentz on the road after a loss versus a backup quarterback in Cooper Rush. Dallas is going to want to lean on the running backs, grind out a win. I'm not really too sure how Washington's going to play. I think they're going to want to pass the ball a ton, but it is going to come down to how good Wentz can be in this matchup. Talking about Wentz and his weapons, we have Antonio Gibson up top here, who is yet to go under 11 points in a game this year and is the RB12 on the season. He's an every week starter for me in fantasy. He's playing versus a Cowboys run defense that ranks 27th on PFF. You can fire him up as a very easy RB2 this week. Then we have J.D. McKissick, who has hit seven or more targets and 10 or more PPR points in each of his last two games. And as a road underdog, I think a rule of thumb is that in that scenario, a guy like J.D. McKissick should be an RB2 streamer. He should see himself in a bunch of two-minute drill and a bunch of passing down situations. He's a fine, low or high floor, low ceiling PPR play on those hero RB and zero RB teams. Then we have the Cowboys running backs. I have both of them as RB2 streamers, Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard. Both passed 10 PPR points and looked good last week, but Zeke is RB39 on the season. Pollard is RB25. It's hard to trust them for me as anything more than RB2 streamers. On the bright side, they have a light matchup versus Washington, who is 27th in PFF rush defense. Then we have the 4 p.m. games. It feels like the 4 p.m. games are a lot fewer this week. I think there's only like three or four. And the first one up top is a weird one. We have the Cardinals on the road across the country in Carolina. The Panthers are one and a half point favorites in this one with an over under of 43 and a half. If I'm being honest, I'm surprised that the Cardinals are underdogs in this game, but I do get it. They're traveling across the country. They haven't been that great in real life football so far. But to me, neither has Carolina. I will say... Of everything, I like the over the most. Carolina is first neutral pace at this point, and Arizona leads the league in no huddle rate. Both of these teams want to run a ton of plays, and when you have Kyler Murray going up against a non-elite defense as an underdog, maybe he has to play from behind and get some garbage time, I think it's a recipe to go over 43.5. Again, if like the Seahawks versus Lions are is a 50-point over-under, the Cardinals in any game should probably be a little bit higher than a 43.5. But regardless, when we talk about the Cardinals, we have James Conner up top. And even coming off an injury, he dominated the touches at 18. He played 60% of the snaps. That should climb. But even still, 18 touches is great. I would have the Panthers as a neutral matchup here. Uh, I think he's a fine high-end RB2 just based off volume alone, given what we saw last week. On the other side, we have Christian McCaffrey, who is the RB11 at this point. That's not great, but of course, you're still starting him. He has two straight 100-yard rushing games. It's crazy that... Matt Rule in this Panthers defense is making him give us 15 points per game on rushing. When this has been a guy who has a crazy receiving skill set, would be the best wide receiver on that team, not named DJ Moore. I do think, I don't understand how they don't get him more involved. I do think that t targets are coming. I do think that touchdowns are coming for Christian McCaffrey. And I like him this week as a top five play, as a home favorite versus a Cardinals defense that ranks 31st in defensive 
DVOA. Next, we have the Broncos on the road versus the Raiders in Las Vegas in the Dome. The Raiders are minus two-point favorites here, and the over-under is 45.5. This is a weird game to gauge as well because the Raiders want to pass the ball a ton. They're 10th in pass rate over-expected, but these are both rookie head coaches still getting their footing. It's hard to trust a Broncos offense to score here since they haven't really scored yet. We're still waiting for this offense to pick it up to actually function and have Russell Wilson play well. I lean the under at 45 and a half, but again, this is a dome game with Russell Wilson and Derek Carr. So that is a dangerous over under to mess around with. When we talk about the Broncos running backs, we have Javante Williams here, who is coming off his worst game of the season from a usage standpoint. He only had 45% of the snaps after having a 65% snap share the week prior. He still saw 20 opportunities last week. He's a fine start versus a Raiders defense that's allowing the third most fantasy points to opposing running backs, but just keep an eye on his usage moving forward. I will say Melvin Gordon's an RB2 streamer here in a light matchup after seeing 18 touches on Sunday night. He's still being featured as a runner. He'll still see like 10 plus touches. And again, the Raiders are allowing the third most fantasy points to opposing running backs. Then we have Josh Jacobs who handled 19 touches last week for 14.7 fantasy points last week. He's only the RB29 on the year, but he's been locked in for a bunch of touches. He's pretty much locked in for 15 or more touches here as a home favorite. Could be a dud, right? He's playing as a Broncos defense that is allowing the third least fantasy points to opposing running backs. But at the end of the day, he's going to get volume as a home favorite. And I think that's a winning recipe. I'd have him right on the fringes, but I would have him as a start this week. Then we have the Patriots on the road versus the Packers. The Packers are 10.5 point favorites at home. The over-under is 40.5. And, and this is just an ugly game because we have Mac Jones missing a few weeks here with a high ankle sprain. And this seems like a low-scoring spot where the Patriots won't push the Packers to score. And Aaron Rodgers can just sort of cruise to a 21-9, 24-9 type victory. And when we talk about the Patriots here, Ramondre Stevenson popped off last week. He had a 20-point week. He got all the uses we wanted here. And then we get hit with a Mac Jones injury. So despite the great usage for Ramondre, despite him putting up 20 points, this Patriots backfield is going to be tough to trust moving forward. Now, I still do have Ramondre and Damian Harris as, or Damian Harris as RB2 streamers. They're playing against a Packers defense that is 31st in rush defense on PFF. It's not going to be a terrible matchup, but the game script is going to be tough. I don't think that they're going to be in a game script where they can afford to run the ball a ton. We'll see what happens. I think this is going to be a tough environment to score in. We'll sort of have to see what this Mac Jones list Patriots offense looks like, but I am worried for those running backs. And when we flip to the two-man committee on the other side, we have Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, who I have both as starts this week, despite having disappointing games last weekend. They're coming in here as 10-point favorites at home. There's going to be a lot of rush attempts here. And the Patriots are bottom five in rush defense per DVOA. Then we have the Sunday night game here. We have the Chiefs on the road versus the Buccaneers. The Chiefs are two and a half point favorites. The over-under is 45 and a half. And we're sort of getting a nice primetime slate this weekend where we have the Thursday night game looks good. Chiefs versus Buccaneers is good, where it's a Super Bowl matchup from a few years ago. You would think that this game would lend itself to a shootout, right? You have Tom Brady, you have Patrick Mahomes. But this Bucs offense has been weird this year. They have only been 22nd in neutral pace and 23rd in pass rate over expectation. They haven't been trying to push the pace or, you know, pass the ball a ton. They've been sort of conservative, sort of, you know, I'm not going to say boring, but sort of having some Todd Bulls influence here 
we'll see how things move forward now that they have Mike Evans back they're going to have Godwin back soon same thing with Julio but when we talk about the Chiefs here and we talk about CEH we have the Chiefs playing on the road as favorites here they could force the Buccaneers into passing the ball from behind in Tampa now with CEH I have him as an RB2 streamer this week he got out snapped and out carried by Jarek McKinnon he is a low volume big efficiency big upside type player it's just going to be tough to see that efficiency in this game against a Bucks defense that's allowing the fewest fantasy points to opposing running backs. You're pretty much hoping for a touchdown. Then with Jarek McKinnon, who did out-carry and out-snap CH last week, I still have him as a sit. He still hasn't hit 10 or more PPR points on the season. Until he does, he should be on your bench. Then we have Leonard Fournette on the Bucks side, and he's only the RB20 on the year, but his usage has been amazing. Last week, he had a 90% snap share. He had a 65% or better route participation. He had a 15% or better target share, 80% or more of the rush attempts. The usage is all there. They just haven't been scoring a lot in Tampa. Their home favorites versus the Chiefs. Maybe they score a little bit more. Maybe Mike Evans comes in there and sort of ignites the offense. We're hoping for something. I don't know if Tom Brady is washed at this point, but if this offense is going to wake up and score points, it would be this week. Last up, we have the Sunday night matchup. The Rams on the road versus the 49ers. The 49ers are home favorites here, two and a half points. And the over-under is 42 and a half. And that feels low, but these guys play each other super tough. And I went back and looked at their last five matchups. Three of those last five matchups have been under 43 points. So you'd say to yourself, oh, that's sort of like a coin flip. But it would be four of their last five matchups under 42 and a half. But one of their matchups was 43 points. So right on the dot. And then you also had the other game that went over was an overtime game. So most of the time, this is a pretty much a war here, a slow low scoring game these guys are going to play each other close both teams are bottom six in neutral pace the 49ers are second lowest in pass rate over expectation with the rams being more balanced they're going to play slow 49ers are going to want to run the ball at home there's not going to be a ton of points it's not a great scenario for fantasy and when we talk about the rams backfield this is such a tough backfield to navigate you have acres who has 30 touches through two weeks so not counting week one where week one henderson was the bell cow acres wasn't getting any work Akers has 30 touches to Henderson's 15 the last two weeks, but both of them are exactly at 60 snaps, and Henderson has dominated the passing down work. I really don't know what to say about this backfield. Akers also fumbled on the goal line late in last Sunday's game, so there's a chance that they come out here and they punish Akers for that. I don't know if McVay is that kind of guy, but that's in the cards. Anybody out there who says that they have a, a clear read on this backfield, I think they're lying to you guys. For me, I'd have them both as fine low-end RB2 streamers in the RB30 area. Both of them are in a tough matchup against a 49ers defense that's really strong, and you don't really know where the volume is going to come from. So again, super volatile RB2 streamers, but if they're your last hope, it's not all that bad. On the other side, we have Jeff Wilson, who had another 15-touch, 11-12 to 12 point game, the vintage Jeff Wilson stat line, and he should get that same usage in week four. He's a home favorite versus the Rams. Now, I'd have him as a low-end start this week versus PFF's number one rush defense in the Rams without having Trent Williams on that San Francisco front line. So it's going to be a tough game. I don't know if you'll see the efficiency. I think the volume will be there regardless. I think he'll be in the mix for a goal line carry, maybe a rushing touchdown. We'll see what happens with Jeff Wilson. I do think he's a back-end RB2 right on the fringe around like RB24 area. Now, that is going to do it for us today. Again, make sure you check out patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. If you have two running backs on this list and you don't know who you want to start, right, if they're both starts or both RB2 streamers, again, I don't sit down and really get into the nitty-gritty of 
would I prefer this player to this player until Thursday when I drop the weekly rankings. So if you want access to my complete weekly rankings that I drop on Thursdays, make sure you check out patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. It'll be at the top of the description and it'll be at the top of the comments below. As always, I love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you go down below. Subscribe, leave a like, and I'll see you in the next one. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag up on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended, subpoena. From Mr. Meaner's dreamer. Hell back asses, Loki's still a dear. And I still.